young students today. I pray that they'd all grow up to know you and to love you and to serve you. And Father, I pray that you'd be blessed uh, and pleased with everything that you see and that you would come down and bless us and meet with us in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We normally observe communion on the first Sunday of each quarter. Normally, that's, that's, the, that's the practice, but uh, this time it's the second Sunday in this quarter. And the whole service really, I think, should be centered around this holy ordinance. There's two ordinances given to the church. One is the Lord's Supper, and the other is baptism. And so when we do those things, I like to just try to make the whole service center around that. And we should think of the Lord's Supper in two ways, as a time of remembrance and a time of self-examination. So let's go ahead and get into this. A time of remembrance. In verse 23, he says, I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. Paul received these instructions directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. He was saved miraculously during a a post-resurrection appearance of Christ when Paul was on the road to Damascus where he would have continued to persecute Christians had he ever reached Damascus. But the Lord met him there in a miraculous way and Paul was converted. After his conversion... He met with the Lord alone for three years. And there he was taught this and everything else. The mysteries that he would be given, the the instruction on the church. He was taught all of those things when he met alone with the Lord. No other man there, just him and the Lord. And he says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. He gave those instructions to the church in Corinth. And today, we receive these instructions at Antiquity Baptist Church. He talks about the bread. The bread. He says, I received of the Lord. And the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. The bread represents the body of Christ. It was broken for us on the cross. He died for our sins on the cross. This bread, it's a symbol. It's a representation of what Christ did for us. Have you ever thought personally about what the crucifixion means for you and for your soul? Have you ever taken the gospel personally So that it's not that Christ died on the cross. And it's not even that Christ died for our sins on the cross. But that he died for my sins on the cross. Have you ever taken the gospel personally? If you haven't, I want to encourage you today to take it personally. The gospel is for all men. I gave a track the other day to a man who is hardened in sin. And his neck is hardened against God. But I gave him that track. And I'm going to keep trying to witness to him. And by God's grace, he'll re- God will open up his heart and he'll receive the gospel which is able to save his soul. But I gave him that track and he said, oh, that's not for me. Now, I'm, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not like that. That's not for me. And I thought to myself, I didn't say anything out loud. Uh, but I thought to myself, the gospel's for all men. Christ died so that all could be saved. 
When He shed His blood on the cross, that blood is enough to cover the redemption, the salvation of all humanity. And it is for every man. God commands. Now that Christ has risen from the grave, you understand, that was a, that was a world-changing event. That changed B.C. to A.D., so to speak. Now, I know it was, it was, his, uh, it was his birth. But just him coming into this world to die for our sins, it changed B.C. to A.D. It changed everything. We date our calendars by it. We set our watches by it. It changed everything. It changed the whole course of the world. And now that Christ has risen from the grave, God now commands all men everywhere to repent and to believe the gospel. That is, you have a command on you. If you've never repented of your sins and put your personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're commanded to do it. You're held responsible before a holy God. Have you ever taken it personally? What does the death of Jesus Christ mean? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him, God made his son, to be sin for us on the cross. That is, when he hung on that cross, he became sin for us. He was, as he said to Nicodemus, he was like that serpent that Moses raised on the pole in the wilderness. Jesus became sin for us on the cross. He became a curse. For it is written, Cursed is he that every man that hangs on a cross. He became a curse for us. He became sin. He took the curse of sin upon himself. He who knew no sin, the perfect man, Christ Jesus. You know, oftentimes Jesus Christ called himself the Son of Man. That was his favorite title to use for himself. Why did he say that? He was both the Son of God and the Son of Man. He was the Son of God first and always the Son of God. There never was a time when He was not the Son of God. And then He became the Son of Man. Why? What does that mean? It means a Son of Man. I'm a Son of Man. If you're a male in here, you're a Son of Man. My dad is John Westover. John Westover Sr., although we don't call him that. That's my dad. I'm a Son of Man. We don't know who his dad was. My dad was adopted. But I know who my dad was. And the Lord has a special love, side note, He has a special love for the fatherless. Don't ever despise somebody who has adopted or been adopted. Don't ever despise that. The Lord has a special love for the fatherless, for widows, and for strangers. But at any rate, I'm a son of man. You're a son of man if you're sitting here today. Even if you don't know who your father is, you're a son of man. Jesus was a son of man. He became a man for us. He became human flesh. But he did it in a very special way with a miraculous virgin birth so that his blood did not belong to his mother. His blood was God's blood. It was divine blood, the only blood that can wash away our sins. Why? Because our blood is corrupted. You were born wrong. If you were born of man, you were born wrong. You were born with corrupted blood. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. That's why He came into this world. That's why He became sin for us on the cross. This one who knew no sin, He was a perfect, righteous sacrifice, and He had to be a man. He had to have a body. Why? Because He was going to redeem a human race. So therefore, had to have a sacrifice that was suitable, had to have a man who could die for that human race. 
And God cannot die. But listen to it. He knew no sin. He was perfect as a sacrifice. And I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect. And the Bible says that there's none righteous. No, not one. There's none good. All have sinned. He's the only perfect man who ever walked this earth. He knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. How does that happen? Jesus Christ, here's a, here's a trade that happens. Here's a substitute. God gave his son our sin. And, and God is willing to give us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's a pretty good trade. And so all you have to do now is just give him your sin. Let him die for your sin on the cross. And if you do, if you trust him and let him die for your sin on the cross, God will give you the righteousness of a perfect man, one who knew no sin. It's a pretty good trade. When I was a kid, I traded all kinds of stuff. I mean, if my dad bought me something, he knew that most likely it wouldn't, it wouldn't make it to the next year. Because I was just a wheeler and a dealer. I, people thought I was going to grow up and have a pawn shop. I mean, it was that bad. I traded everything. Now, I made some pretty dumb trades. One time somebody gave me a Savage 410 over and under with long, long rifle 22s on, you know, and then the 410 shotgun shells. And I traded that thing. That was dumb. You can't get those very easily. It was a nice one, and I traded it. But, I mean, I'd take things up to the pawn shop. I'd trade stuff in for Atari games, because back in my day, we still played the Atari. I'd trade all kinds of stuff in. And I knew a good trade. And sometimes you'd get a friend who was just desperate. They wanted what you had. And uh, they were willing to give you more than what it was worth, because they wanted what you had. And so you could wheel and deal, you know, and make a good trade. I know a good trade when I see one. And I, I'll tell you what... I had some good trades when I was a kid on them WWF wrestlers. Remember back in the day when they made the WWF wrestlers that were about this big? You know, and you wanted a certain one. You wanted Hulk Hogan, right? We had like Hacksaw Jim Duggan and maybe some no-name WWF wrestler. And I say, listen, I will give you Hacksaw Jim Duggan and this no-name guy for your Hulk Hogan, you know, and get a trade. And, uh, and, and, well, I gave him two wrestlers and I only got one. But I know a good trade, Right? This is a good trade. I gave him my sin, and he gave me his righteousness. Without this righteousness, you cannot go to heaven. You're not good enough to make it past the judgment. Listen, it's a substitute. Jesus died as a substitute. Let me read to you something that Peter said. You say, what do you mean a substitute? I mean, when Jesus died on the cross, he died in my place. He died as my substitute on the cross. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, listen, it's either you're going to die for your sins or you're going to let Jesus die for your sins. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. You know what you get for being a sinner? The payment you get is death. And it's either you're going to die for your sins and pay for them in a place called hell with all the fire in it, or else you're going to let Jesus and his death on the cross be the death of for your sins. And I simply just, I traded with Jesus Christ and I allowed him to be my substitute, to stand in my place and to die on the cross. Peter says in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. Think of it for a moment, folks. Think of it. Think of that word, suffered. Christ also hath once suffered for sins. We've known some Christians to suffer on down through the years. 
I was talking about the suffering of Christians in uh, Germany during the Reformation on Wednesday night. We talked about that church that was started by that man who came out of the Church of England. And with all of their, their, their Catholic uh, uh, extra-biblical junk and their work salvation, he came out of the Church of England and he started studying the Bible. You know, after the invention of the Gutenberg Press, people had the Word of God in their own language. He started studying this thing and studying Luther's translation. And he started to find out, hey, you know what? I was baptized as an infant, but I'm not saved. And so he, he's born again by believing the gospel, the way that you're supposed to get saved. And then he finds out, you know what? Baptism is uh, by immersion, and it's for believers only. So he starts teaching this truth to people, and the truth spreads like wildfire. And so before long, this man has a church of 1,000 people in, in Germany. Think of it. 1,000 people within two years. Huge movement. And the Protestants persecuted those people who were Baptists like us. They just didn't have the name. The Protestants began to persecute those. You know what they did with the, with the preacher that led that church? They beheaded him. This is in Europe, folks. They beheaded him. You know what they did with the other thousand members of the church? They rounded them all up, history tells us, and they branded them. Imagine that. A cattle, have you ever seen a cattle or cow being branded? You ever seen that? Take that thing, put that on you, so that everywhere they went, think of, think of the uh, bearing the reproach of Christ. Yeah, I guess so. Everywhere they went in town, people would see that brand on their body and say, that's one of those Baptist heretics. Well, that's your kin. That's your spiritual lineage. That's your spiritual heritage. In another place, uh, it happened in Sweden, it happened in Holland. In other places, they would take the people and they would fillet them. These are Christians, followers of Christ. Fillet them, take hot pincers, pinch their skin, and pull layers of their skin off, one at a time. This is church history. The folks today know nothing of church history. You don't know where you came from as a Christian. And you don't know where you're going either if you don't know where you came from. This kind of stuff happened. That's bad. That's bad because we think about it happening to us, right? Think about Christ on the cross. Think of the way he suffered. Christ also hath once suffered for sins. They put him up against that pole there and, and, and took that cat of nine tails, that whip, and ran it across his back. And they say that thing would have wrapped all the way around his back, around to his side, would have caught hold there with pieces of broken bone and lead, lead balls that were attached to the leather uh, strands, and would have grabbed a hold of his skin and would have pulled flesh off of his bones. They say that thing would open a man up to the point to where you could see their intestines, you could see their insides. They, men died just from being flogged with the cat of nine tails. Men died. So there was a law for the Romans. They couldn't go past 40. They whipped Jesus to the point to where he was just ripped to shreds. Then taking his cross to go up to the hill of Calvary, he almost died on the way. He almost died on the way to carry his cross to the hill to die for your sins and for my sins. He had somebody help him. The only reason why he made it is because it was a supernatural event. And he made it up there to the cross, and then it just got worse from there, being nailed to a cross. Think of his suffering, but that wasn't the worst. 
You see? That wasn't the part when he said, Father, I don't want to take this cup. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. When he said that, it wasn't the pain that he would endure. It wasn't shedding his blood. It wasn't the nails in his hands, the nails in his feet. It wasn't the soldier's uh, uh, spear piercing his side. Of course, he was already dead when that happened. It wasn't that. It wasn't the crown of thorns. It wasn't the, the soldier's or the, the passers-by in the crowd plucking out his beard or spitting in his face or hitting him with the palms of their hands when they put the bag over his head and said, prophesy, tell us who hit you. It wasn't that that, that he, that he uh, didn't want to go through. It was becoming sin. It was taking our sins on him. He became sin. So God treated him on the cross as if he was guilty for our sins. Think of it, the, the, the eternally righteous one being treated like a sinner. But God treated him like a sinner on the cross and allowed him to die in our place and said, I'll accept that. I'll accept a love like that, a dying love who would die for people, many of whom who would never receive his love and die for people who would. And God said, I'll accept that as a sacrifice for sin. But just think of that. He died for all of our dirty, rotten sins. Do I have to name them? But he even, listen, he died for our lies. Have you ever told a lie before? Have you ever lied to your mom or your dad or your boss or your spouse? Did you know that one lie is bad enough that God says all liars will have their part in a lake which burns with fire and brimstone? God is holy, folks. God is righteous. God is just. And he will not allow sin to be unpunished. And he will not allow sin into heaven. You think you're going to just try your best and make it your own way? Well, you got another thing coming. You're going to be severely disappointed before God's throne if that's your plan. He said, all liars shall have their park in a lake, lake, lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. If you've ever told a lie, guess what? That makes you guilty. How do you think you're going to fare when you stand before God on the day of judgment? Do you think you're going to be innocent or guilty? Have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever looked at a, another person with lust? These days you've got to say the opposite gender or the same gender. Have you ever looked with lust and, and, and imagined things in your heart, sexual things, for pleasure? Have you ever done that? God says that's adultery. You've committed adultery in your heart. That's three of the Ten Commandments that you've broken. If, you, if you're guilty of one commandment and breaking that, you're guilty of them all. The Bible says you're a lawbreaker. You're, what I'm trying to say this morning is you're guilty before God. Have you ever taken the gospel personally to say that he died for my sins? You see, God doesn't want you to go to hell. We don't want you to go to hell. That's why we're having church and having an evangelistic service this morning. And Jesus sure don't want you to go to hell. That's why he laid down his life. He said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. And he laid down his life on the cross. He didn't, his blood wasn't spilt. That's an accident when you spill something. That's an accident. His blood was shed. He said, I'm shedding my own blood for you. They couldn't take me unless I gave myself to him. He is too strong, too powerful for that. But he said, I'll lay down my life. Have you ever taken it personally? For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. The just, that's him. The unjust, that's us. The just for the unjust, you see? A substitute. 
that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. That's the resurrection. Listen, all you have to do is come to God and just say, God, I'm unjust. I'm guilty before You. I'm sorry for my sins. I'm afraid of Your judgment. I don't want to go to hell when I die. I believe that Jesus Christ was a perfect sacrifice. I believe that He loved me so much that He became sin on the cross and died under your righteous uh, wrath and condemnation against sin and that He bore my sins and carried them away. And I trust Him personally to be my payment for sins. I'm giving Him my sin. I want Him to die in my place for my sins and I want His righteousness so that I can go to heaven. That's the trade today. Have you done that? Have you taken it personally? That's what the bread and the cup represents. His substitutionary sacrifice for you and for me. And the cup, the cup in verse number 25. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament. In my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. The cup represents the blood that was shed for us. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission or forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 9.22 Think of Jesus Christ who washed us from our sins in His own blood. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's so easy for us to forget this sacrifice that Christ made for us. And that's why we celebrate communion. How easily... Listen... How easily we complain about small sacrifices that we have to make. How easily we complain about the pain that we have to endure living in this sinful, fallen world. Think of Christ. Think of all that He suffered and He did it quietly. He did it for the joy that was set before Him. That is, fulfilling and completing His Father's will and knowing that He would stand before His Father having done everything that He was sent to do. Think of his dying love for sinners as a lamb before his shears. He was dumb. He was just silent. He just took it. He took it for you and for me. And when he was on the cross, he uttered a few sayings. And it wasn't wasn't yelling at the people who were hurting him. It wasn't judgment against this sinful world, wicked and cruel and dark and godless. It wasn't that. He said, one of the last things he said was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Think of it. He wanted to forgive. He wanted God to make sure that forgiveness was on behalf of the people who crucified him, that they had forgiveness. So he prayed that God would forgive them. He also said, It is finished. That means that our salvation, the work to save our souls, he accomplished it. It's finished. The bread and the cup. Think of his obedience to the Father. And when you think about your life, think about your obedience to Christ because of what he's done for you. And think about how how obedient we should be. And think of the Lord's Supper, secondly, as a time of self-examination. Verse number 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now, folks, today God wants you to partake of communion. He wants you to partake. But this should be a time of self-examination, and Paul gives us a warning. There's some people who shouldn't. But if you're saved, you can take communion. If you're not saved, you shouldn't. 
This is for believers. It's like baptism. Both of the ordinances are for believers. This is for believers. And if you're saved, you should partake. But only after a time of self-examination. But let's look at this together. There's two ways that we can participate in this today. And Paul made it clear for the Corinthians. And uh, he sure did make it clear. And it's clear for us today. He says, uh, verse 27, Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink the cup unworthily, unworthily. If you mark in your Bible, you should underline that. This is talking about examining yourself to find out whether or not you're taking it worthily or unworthily. Now, notice it says worthily with a Y at the end, L-Y, right? Excuse me, an L-Y, you see that? This adverb, it modifies a verb, eat or drink. It's an adverb. So it's referring to the manner in which we eat or drink. Notice it does not say worthy. It does not say worthy. Okay? None of us are worthy. You know that? None of us are worthy. And I, you know, this is a self-examination. And I'm not going to lead in distributing the elements and saying the prayers and taking communion. I'm not going to lead in this because I'm worthy today. I'm going to lead in this because Christ is worthy and I'm a blood-bought child of God and I'm called to be a pastor. That's why I'm doing it. But when I think about myself and when I was praying, getting ready for this last night and today, I said, Lord, I know I'm not worthy and you know I'm not worthy. The longer I'm saved, the more I realize I'm not saved because I'm worthy. I'm very much unworthy. God is so holy and we are so unholy. And I come before him not because I'm worthy. No, I come, but I should come worthily. So what is that referring to? It's referring to the manner in which we eat and drink. The manner. It's not character that would keep you from eating the bread and drinking the cup. It's not character. The apostle has in view our conduct. In other words... Paul is warning us not to be flippant or irreverent or fooling around or indifferent or casual about this. Don't do that. And Paul was rebuking them for the way that they were treating one another. The communion service, it was like a potluck. They called it their love feast or their agape meal. It was like a potluck. When they got together, they had this big dinner. Everybody brought something. And they, there were some people who were, who were, they supposed were like servants. Much of the church, they were servants, like slaves. And they got off later, you know, and so they weren't able to come early as other people who were wealthy and able to be there. And therefore, they were eating some of the good stuff first before they got there. You know, you should wait till everybody's sitting at the table before you pray. That's hard sometimes to do with a busy home life. But it's a good, it's a good practice. Wait till everybody's there then pray, then eat, you know. But um, and he was saying that, and then also some people would bring some real good stuff, you know, the people with the money, and then the real poor people would just bring whatever they could, and they were like letting, you know, not letting the poor people have the real good stuff. Can you imagine that at a potluck? Saying, I made this really good roast here, or beef brisket or whatever, and not giving it to some of the poor members of the congregation. Something like that. So Paul is saying, you're basically, you're not treating each other right as the body of Christ. 
and you're coming into this thing and your conduct is not right. And today, what can we do? Sometimes we can not realize that this is a solemn and a serious part of our worship. So is your attitude right today? If your attitude is right, then you should partake. Examine yourself for your attitude. Examine yourself for unconfessed sin. Sin hinders our fellowship with God. So when we take communion, we have a few moments when the bread is passed out, and we're not just trying to kill time when that happens, you know. There's different ways that we could do it so that there's not as much like quiet time or, or time waiting for the, the elements to be uh, distri- distributed. We're doing that for the purpose of it should be a serious, solemn time where you're examining yourself, you're praying. And if you've got everything, all, everything between you and the Lord is as it should be and there's nothing in your heart that's between you and the Lord, well, just sit there and meditate on the cross. Meditate on Jesus and think about that. Think deeply about those things. Pray, tell Him you love Him, tell Him you're so thankful. But it's just a time together, but it's a time for you to examine yourself So if unconfessed sin is in your life, all you do is just get it right. Get it right here today. Get it right during the sermon. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I can't say anything more than that. I can't tell you you can't come to this table. Well, listen, if you're saved, if your sins are confessed, they're cleansed according to 1 John 1.9, even if you do it over and over and over again, which you shouldn't. But even if you do do it over and over and over again, Every time he will forgive you. You see? That's Bible Christianity. Now, repentance is sorrow for the things that we've done before. And showing that we in earnest grieve by doing so no more. So you should pray and say, Lord, forgive me for this. And God, I feel so guilty you know, about myself and I feel sorry for it. Help me not to do it again. I'm struggling with this thing. Help me to get it out of the picture. Get it out of my life. But confess it. Get it under the blood and take communion. So just, uh, just so, so you have a, the right attitude about it. Now, those who have not judged, there's, there's a second way that you can take this. Those who have not judged themselves or examined themselves, they will be judged by God. If we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged, right? These people come to church flippantly. They don't take seriously what we're doing in the sight of God. Uh, They may have accepted Christ as Savior, but they're living an uncommitted life. They're living a double life. These are sometimes called by us Sunday Christians. Sunday Christians. That is, the world has a word for them. They're hypocrites. They're living a double life. We call them Sunday Christians. That is, the only times they act like Christians is on Sunday for one hour. Otherwise, they're, they're not. They sit, they soak, they sour in the service. They become professional pew critics and fault finders, and they're here for what they can get out of it. They say, I enjoyed that, I enjoyed that. That's a, that's a consumer. That's a professional pew critic. That's entertainment, like what's going on up here is, is for your entertainment. No, we're all worshiping together. We're all a body. We're all in this thing together. And uh, they hinder the unity of any local church that they're a part of. They do not produce the fruit of the Spirit. If this describes you, then you should repent. before taking the Lord's Supper. You can repent of that. If I just nailed you, well, own it. If you're wrong, say you're wrong. You know? And own it. And just say, you know what? That's what I am. I'm not committed to the Lord anymore like I ought to be. And I want to recommit my life to Him. I want to get real about this. 
and I got a bad spirit and all I'm doing is being a fault finder and criticizing everything and I'm just, you know, I'm just coming in here waiting for somebody to make me happy rather than coming in here seeing how I can serve other people. If that's you, you know, just get that right. But there's two consequences for this. For those who refuse to judge themselves, they go on living an uncommitted double life evidenced by that spirit that I was talking about, that bad attitude. Many Many are weak and sick, he says. Verse 29, Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation. That's not going to hell, that's That's a judgment on your body. Judgment in this life. Damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. What we're doing is holy. This represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. His sacrifice on the cross. Think about it. One preacher put it this way. He says, I like to think about it like this. Every time I decide to sin and go against what I know to be the will of God, it's like I'm spitting in my Savior's face. He said, I try to picture him on the cross. I try to just picture myself being one of those ones that's just mocking him, spitting at him. He said, that's what it's like. Because he suffered for that sin that I'm about ready to enjoy even though I know better than to do it. And I thought, that's a good way to look at it. That's a good way to look at it. And and he says, many are weak and sick. Why? Because they're not judging themselves and they're not taking this thing seriously now, this form of judgment, being weak and sick, he says not, not a few, but many. Being weak and sick, that's called chastening in the Bible. Hebrews 12, you could read that later. Hebrews 12, 6-9, it's chastening. Those who have accepted Christ but are walking in the flesh will be chastened. If you're not chastened, then uh, you may not belong to the Lord. If you can just do as you please and nothing happens, you might want to check to see if you're really saved. Because the Lord is a faithful Father and He chastens us. This is between you and the Lord and only you will know if this is happening. Many are weak. Many are sick. I heard one pastor's testimony. He talked about a woman that belonged to a church that he served and he went to go see her in the hospital. And while he was visiting with her, she said to him, she said, Pastor, I know I'm in here and I know I'm sick because I've been living a double life and uncommitted and I've been doing church and doing communion and all that stuff and just putting on a big show and the Lord did this to get me on my back and to finally get my attention. And she said, I just know it. I know that that's what this is. Many are weak, many are sick, and then many are dead, it says. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, verse 30, and many sleep. In other words, death. That's the way we talk about a Christian dying, sleep. This is a terminal judgment. One preacher told a story about a youth in one of the churches who had trusted Christ as Savior. Sure enough, saved. But he struggled with binge drinking. He would come to the preacher asking for help, but he never followed the advice. He never did what the preacher said. The preacher said, separate from your friends that are being this bad influence on you. He he said, I need to be with my friends. And because he needed to be with his friends who were his drinking buddies, one night he drank way too much beer and they broke out a bottle of whiskey and gave him a bottle of whiskey and he he drank too much of that and his body couldn't handle it and he died of alcohol poisoning because his body couldn't take it. He died that night, this preacher says one of the churches that he served. Remember the words of James. Remember the words that the Lord gave to James. What does it say about sin? It says, think about sin being LSD. 
Not the drug. Not the hallucinogen. But think about drug, sin being LSD. James chapter 1 and verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift is from above. You see, lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. L.S. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The death of the body. You know, the church at Corinth had a lot of problems, just like most American churches do today. If you're challenged by what you've heard today, respond to it. Respond to it in this time of of prayer before we have communion. And if you think you can challenge the Word of God, and that it's not so, you'll lose. You'll lose. Don't challenge the Word of God. Don't take this lightly. Are you planning on taking communion today? That's good. You should. After you've examined yourself. Are you in fellowship with the Lord? Are your sins confessed? Are you taking seriously your commitment to the Lord as a believer? and You're not living a double life? Then go ahead and take it. But is there something between you and the Lord that you're not willing to confess and forsake? Then I, I wouldn't. If your attitude is not right about this whole thing, if you're not taking seriously your relationship. But if your attitude is right, but you just have something that needs to be taken care of, then just get it under the blood. Then eat the bread and drink the cup. And remember that Christ suffered for our sins. And none of us are worthy to sit at the Lord's table. We come in His name, trusting in His sacrifice for salvation. And those who come in the right attitude, then come, come and and, uh, take And let it be a time of remembrance.